0: If you have overcome something in your life that you thought was going to take you out, there are people out there struggling with that right now that need you. I was a junkie, homeless, yet I was given this love. Man, I just want to give it to as many people as possible. I don't know if you're going to see this voice but I thought I was happy. Are, are you happy? I'm not happy at all. The
1: question is, are you happy? Are you happy? I'm the happiest I've ever are been right now. P.S. Yeah. Be the person who you'd
0: want to meet because somebody needs you.
1: Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Happy? Podcast. Today, we have a special guest whom we met via Podmatch, and his story just left off the screen and so we just had to meet him. Adam Gutton, how are you today?
0: I'm doing excellent. Vanessa, how are you doing?
1: Good, good. So I want you to answer this primary question and then we'll deep dive into who Adam is. But are you happy?
0: I would say that I am absolutely pursuing happiness. Yeah. And what does that mean? I can't really say I am happy because I think that it's too elusive. And I think the minute that we believe that we have grasped it, then we lose it.
1: And so when you have like really good moments, what do you call that?
0: We can say yes, I'm, I'm extremely, extremely happy because every single day I'm working on something that I believe is my purpose. I see a vision for the future where I'm helping a lot of people and I'm able to do these things day by day by day. So I would say yes, I'm happy. You know, it's something that I pursue purpose and it makes me happy. I just pursue purpose and what I'm supposed to be doing and, and God's will for my life. And I just tend to have happiness while I'm doing that.
1: Have you always pursued purpose or was that more of a byproduct of your experience?
0: Definitely a byproduct of my experience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about that experience.
0: Well, five and a half years ago, I was homeless and an IV drug addict. I was 148 pounds. I'm 215 pounds right now. I was found dead from an overdose by the police. Yeah, was having a really hard time of it, and so it's really hard to pursue purpose when your whole purpose in life is finding ways and means to obtain more and more drugs to put inside of your body, and then you get to a point where you're using against your will. I was literally for a couple years there. I did not want to be using, but I had to. And once I found that freedom that I didn't think was available to me for so long. You know, I literally I thought I was going to die an addict, even though I was trying for years to stop. And then once I actually experienced the freedom that I now have, where my mind doesn't wake up thinking about using and my mind, you know, I just have this complete freedom from it. The purpose now is showing other people that are suffering like I was that it's available.
1: And if I can ask, how did it all start?
0: Well, when I was growing up, I grew up like an all-American golden boy. I was, you know, I grew up in Littleton, Colorado in the Columbine community. I was a state championship wrestler in Little League. Our football team won state every year in Little League. I was the Little League World Series home run derby hitter. So everything was going great. But when I was 12 years old, I was introduced to cocaine by an older influence who was 21, 22 years old. And then throughout my sports career in high school, you know, I was the defensive captain of our state championship football team my senior year at Columbine High School. And this whole time, I have this deep, dark secret that I am partying more and more and more. And I didn't realize at the time, you know, a lot of kids don't realize that when you are escaping every, every weekend, and then it turns into every night, and then, you know, it kind of turns into a way of life quicker than you can even grasp or understand. And then when a traumatic event happened my freshman year of college. It all changed. It was September 28, 2008. I had been out drinking and partying like most nights my freshman year of college when I woke up to my phone ringing and vibrating down by my leg. And I swam through the soft sheets to find my hard phone with the bright screen that read 447 AM. And my best friend Chucker was calling me. And I remember having the conscious choice that I could either answer the phone like I always do with, Hey, what's up, Chuck? Or I could answer the way I was feeling with, Hello? And in my still drunken state, I chose the latter, to which a soft voice replied, Hey, what's up? Why are you calling me this late? I was just calling to say hi. Don't call me this late again i hung up on him and he shot himself and for nearly a decade after that phone call i was unable to share the truth about it to anyone as i bottled it down deeper and deeper and deeper with drugs and alcohol to that point drugs and alcohol were just partying and having fun But after that, I began consciously using drugs and alcohol to cope with the way that I felt, to cope with the way that I thought, and to cope with life as life came at me. And this is what led me to finding myself homeless. I was 86 from a homeless shelter, so I was super homeless. I was unable to stop using the very drugs that were taking everything from me.
1: And so after the police found you, what happened after that?
0: You would think that seeing the body cam footage on a big tv screen in front of your face in a courtroom of your own dead body when you're facing five years in prison would make somebody stop using drugs. But I suffered for exactly two more years after that event. It got worse and worse and worse. I was unable to stop. There were points when I was going into my probation officer, high out of my mind, crying, asking him to put me in prison because I can't stop using. And at this time, 2015, 16, 17, it was very different than what we have now. I was unable to get treatment. I was unable to get any kind of treatment, any kind of help other than things that I could find, you know, walking into 12-step meetings or walking into church and things like that, which I did. I did all the available things to help. But for a significant amount of time, I was legitimately using against my will. I remember holding a syringe, bawling my eyes out, not wanting to do it. But I knew that there was this thing inside of me. There was this thing in my head. There was this 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 strong addiction that I knew that there was nothing I could do to stop. So it was a really scary place to be. And then it got to a point where I had tried everything. You know, I was going to two 12-step meetings every single day for months. I was going to church every Saturday and Sunday. I was going to Bible study every Tuesday. And all these other things that I was trying and nothing was working. And I'm like, I'm a big guy. And at this time, I'm swimming in medium-sized shirts. Like literally I am skin and bones. And I got to this point where I didn't think that, you know, I was there. Was, I was going to die. And I didn't want to continue like this because I had tried everything there was to stop. And I audibly said to God, I was like, God, I'm done. I'm not going to this Bible study. I'm not going to these meetings anymore. I'm not going to church. Please just let me die. And I remember when I said that, like I remember it like it was yesterday. I was so honest, Vanessa. I was so honest that I did not want my life. I wanted to die because I I couldn't keep going like this. And in that moment, I heard not an audible voice, but this like really soft voice that goes into my heart. And he said, it's time, go. And I didn't get this like, this sense of excitement or power or anything like that. The first thing that I felt was anger because what's different about this time? What's different about this time than all the times that I dumped all the dope that I had in the toilet and said that I'm never going to use again? And you could have strapped a lie detector test to me and I would have passed saying I'm never using again. Then I wake up in the morning and I pawn my TV to go pick up dope. What's different about this time? So I'm screaming at God and I'm hitting the roof of this car and the steering wheel and I'm screaming at him, Please just let me die. Please just let me die. And I'm crying and I'm crying. And this goes on for a few minutes. And then I start to calm down and I'm taking some breaths and stuff. And and then he just repeats himself and he's said, it's time, go. And again, I didn't get this sense of like overwhelming Holy Spirit power, like I'm healed. But What I got in that moment was this sense of willingness that I had never had in my life before. Because to that point, everything that I, quote unquote, had tried to stop were all neatly designed plans within my own mind. I'm going to go to this meeting and this meeting. I'm going to do this and this and this, and that's going to make me stop. And I had never let go of plans and said, whatever, you say, I'll do. And that's what happened in that moment. And some people came into my life that were able to help me through a certain 12 step program that wasn't following a fellowship and hoping that if I go to a meeting every day, I'll be able to quit because in between meetings, you just don't use, you know, and I wasn't able to ever do that. I could go to two meetings a day and I'm using in between meetings because I'm so sick at the time. And I haven't used or drank since November 6th of 2017. And five days later, when I'm five, five days clean. And it's like a miracle because to that point, it had been a long time since i had five days. And my best friend came and picked me up. He's the leader of my Bible study at the time. He's clean and sober, but he never like for those the whole like year, year and a half before I got clean, he would pick me up from the homeless shelter or from the streets or from wherever I was and just take me to get coffee or he would take me to get lunch or he would take me to church or whatever it was. And not once did he ever tell me all the things that I was doing wrong with my life or all the things I needed to do. He just picked me up and loved on me. so we go to, he takes me to IHOP on day five and we're sitting across from each other And we're talking. I'm all excited because I have five days and that's like a miracle. And I get this text message on my phone and it's from my dope dealer. He's like, hey, bro, I just got some new stuff. It's fire. I'll give you a free 20 to try out. And right when I read it, I felt a spirit, the spirit go in through the top of my head all the way through my body. My toes were tingling. My fingers were tingling. And then I lost my peripheral vision. So all I could see was the phone. And then my thumbs just started texting back. And it was in like King James. It was like, "Ye shall not text me again. Thou hast texted me for the last time. It's going crazy. At the end of the text, I like felt the spirit leave me, go from the bottom of my feet all the way through my head. And then you know I kind of came back into my own consciousness and I looked at the phone. I was reading it. I was like, what the heck is that? And I showed it to Brandon. I'm like, dude, that was not me. I was like, that was not me. He was like, okay. And then I push send and I close my little flip phone and I'm putting it in my pocket. I'm looking at my pocket. I'm like, dude, I don't know what that was. And when I look back up, Jesus is sitting across from me. The entire restaurant had completely disappeared. All I could see was his 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 face a bright glow coming from behind him and he was smiling at me and in that moment the only thing that i could compare to it was when i used to shoot up heroin like when all the negative thoughts all the negative feelings and emotions and everything that i'm having just immediately in an instant flow out of me with one warm flood into me but the difference between heroin and jesus When all those negative things left me, in an instant, I was flooded with an overwhelming sense of value, of purpose, of peace, of love. And I felt like I was going to be okay for the first time since I was 10 years old. And, you know, this all happens in less than a second. I immediately know who it is. I immediately know what's happening. I fall with my face to the table, my hand up. I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Came back up and he was gone. And I haven't used since.
1: And so when you hear yourself recount your story, are there new things that stand out to you or new things that you remember, like tiny little microscopic details?
0: You know, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've told my story now.
1: A lot. I'm guessing. But
0: yeah, Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds, because I use my story to share hope with other people. And the thing is, is I've, you know, what really, really helped me to remember everything and to make it so that I can tell my story, how, how I need to tell it, how it happened was I wrote my book. You know, when I had to sit down and really write my book and edit my book and get, you know, all of these things out and you read your own story so many times as you're editing it that, you know, you you remember it. And right after that, after that whole thing with Jesus happened, like <laughs> you have to imagine I'm less than 30 days clean and sober and I start telling people around me that have been watching me struggling with addiction for two years. I'm like, dude, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus. (laughs) So I'm getting all of these different like backlashes, like people like saying that I've gone nuts and all this different stuff and like, but I don't care at the time. I like remember this and I've actually never told anybody about this. I've not shared this part of it on a podcast, but I was so stoked. I didn't care what anybody was saying and I couldn't stop sharing it with everybody around me. The thing is, is every morning in the shower, I remember like I would have the water running on my head and I would have my hand against the against the wall and I'd be praying to God. I'm like, God, I know what happened. I don't care what anybody is saying. God, I just ask that you continue to heal my mind continue to heal my mind and show everybody that this is not me, but it's you that's doing this. I'd make it so that I can show people it's possible to never use, never drink, never smoke or anything ever again, God pleased. And I just like would pray this every morning just to solidify to myself, like it doesn't matter what all these people are saying, because this happened with me and him. And it doesn't, I have an audience of one, I've gotten really close to that that understanding also, where I'm not doing this for anybody, except for the knowledge that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Your purpose. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) God, that's remarkable. I I love that you saw Jesus. And I I love that you had that experience. It's unlike anything else. and, And no one will ever quite understand exactly what you felt. But the way that you describe it is damn near close. Yeah. So I wonder, for those people that are not yet ready to get help, what are your words to them?
0: That aren't ready to get help for addiction? Well, I hope you get ready before you die because one person dies in the United States every 4.86 minutes. And a lot of us think, oh, it won't be us and this kind of stuff. I didn't think it was going to be me either until I literally woke up on the asphalt in a pile of glass with blue and red lights around me, not knowing what the heck just happened. You know, and we think that, you know, you think you might think that you're alone, which is making it so you're not ready. You might be thinking that it's not that bad, like maybe yours wasn't as bad as mine or isn't as bad as mine was, which is fine. You know, my job is to raise the bottom for as many people as possible. Also, like I love helping people that are at the same bottom that I was or even. you know some people that are lower but what's even better is raising the bottom for everyone else like i'm doing everything i can to prevent kids from ever going down that path so you know what is what you're doing right now taking you to a place that five years from now you're going to be happy and that goes for everything it can be drugs alcohol it can be porn it can be sex it can be whatever you're doing is what you're doing right now in this moment taking you to being the person that you want to be five years from now if not then get ready get ready if I could ask also, where was your
1: family during the whole experience?
0: I ran away from my family. Like my family loved me. They they tried everything. They tried all the different like they tried the just putting up with it to me living with them to the tough love to everything. But I always had the family that I could always go back. But it got to a point where I had a meeting with my family in late 2016. And I let them know, hey, guys, I'm I'm going to die and I don't want you guys to watch me because I was working in Colorado at the time. I was on probation up in Montana and I had this like the whole time in my addiction, I I was able to make, you know, good money, like six figures doing sales. It was just going into my arm. And I ended up having a meeting with my sister and my dad and told my mom, like, I'm going back up to Montana because I need to stop using. What I didn't want to tell them was that I was having that meeting with them because I didn't want them to watch me die because I didn't think I was going to survive. And I thought that the only way that I was going to be able to stop using was to become I'm homeless and destitute. Because at that point, I'm making all this money. I can't get Medicaid because I'm making too much money. I can't get accepted into treatment because I can't get insurance because insurance knows that I'm an addict. So they won't accept me. So I'm in this like limbo of like, there is nothing I can do to get help. So I'm like, well, I need to quit everything, go up to Montana and see what I can do. And I lived homeless for about a year in a homeless shelter and then out of a homeless shelter lived in an abandoned building during the winter in Montana, where we had a metal barrel with a fire, I would literally like change my phone number just so I didn't have to hear my mom's voice. You know, she would she would call and I wouldn't want to talk to her. And it was awful, but it wasn't because I didn't love her. It's just so difficult when you can't do anything about it. It's just this constant shame cycle.
1: So was it then you not wanting her to see who you were at that point in time?
0: Exactly. I didn't want to, I didn't want my family to watch me fall down and die. I would rather just become someone that they used to know than have them watch it happen.
1: Did you ever think that maybe like it would hurt though for them to be far away from you? Like if you were to pass, them not being there would hurt just as much if not more.
0: You know, I wasn't thinking that way because at the time, I got to a point where I needed to do whatever I could to stop. And how I saw it was that I needed to get away from everything that had ever helped me—the job, the family, the all this stuff that had never worked before—and I need to go lose everything and see what happens. I literally made a choice to stop making six figures because I couldn't stop using. And then it took me a year after that, and I was able to figure out still using. I made like I think my tax returns for 2017 were like four thousand dollars, you know. Mm -hmm. And up to that point, since I was like 20 years old. I was making six figures. It was crazy. I I, I made that choice. And that is what ended up happening. I got to a point where I had nothing except for God. And that's when I learned that God is all I need.
1: And so would you recommend that to other people to to take to strip away everything, you know, go on their own journey or, or rely on God, just take everything away?
0: I mean, it is so case by case. I've helped someone that was in college who was noticing how bad his cocaine and alcohol habit was getting. And he still had good grades, but he started to notice how much he was slipping and being able to do his work, you know, and I helped him get sober. Now, does that mean that he should quit school and quit all of of this stuff in order to find sobriety? Nah, because we raised that bottom for him. Some people are not quite at the point of their addiction to where they are actually beyond human aid. I got to a point where there was nothing anybody could do for me. No human could help me stop. And if someone is at that point, then it's a really scary place to be and you have to find God. It's your only option. And if you don't believe in God, you better start opening up your mind to find whatever it is that's going to help you.
1: And so fast forwarding to now, you know, Pat, now that you're doing amazingly well and you're helping so many people, how does that feel for you to know that you are making a difference in other people's lives and that you are helping people that were in the position that you once were or close to? You
0: know, I don't think about it. I think about the, I just go day by day what I'm supposed to do. But I can tell you that when I get a message from someone that literally says, I remember the day I reached out to you for help. And I literally got up off of my couch. I went to a meeting and I haven't looked back and I haven't drank or used since you helped me change my life when I get a message like that and that's quote for quote a message that I got when I get messages like that, it's better than a shot of dope.
1: It's everything. If, yeah. <laughs> it's life-changing. I, I've gotten one of those messages and it is it is everything. It changes everything. I share an experience of homelessness and that was what drew me to your profile and, you know, going through the whole interview process, not the secondary half of that, but the homelessness part of that. And I know it's oh, like yeah. to be, you know, without anything and to be regarded as as if you don't exist. And then for you to have that, that monkey on your back also, in addition to being out there. That's incredibly difficult to imagine surviving, let alone rising from that and then being able to help others, you know, through their own issues.
0: Amen. I think that's everybody's purpose. If you have overcome something in your life that you thought was going to take you out, there are people out there struggling with that right now that need you.
1: When you were growing up, did you have like that sense of urgency to help others? Was that already instilled in you or was it just like something that came along your life path?
0: Yeah, I, it's funny you ask that. I actually was talking to, gosh, this, this friend of mine, this girl. Her and I started in school together in like Fifth grade. And I was talking to her like right at the beginning, right after I published my book, right after I, you know, started recovered on purpose and was talking to her about what I wanted to do. And she was like, Oh my gosh, Adam, you're always working on something to save the world. And that was my thing growing up. I just always I believe that all of my quote unquote gifts, I think that every single one of them bottles down to and can be directly related to my love for people. Because everything else, everything else I've had to learn how to do. Those aren't my gifts. I believe like and I've I've gotten real deep into this. My love for people makes it so that I will do anything to make it so I can love more people. And it's interesting because nothing makes me happier than loving other people, giving them love that I have experienced in such a overwhelming and graceful way. Like I was a junkie, homeless, everything wrong with a human I had. Yet I was given this love. So I just man I just want to give it to as many people as possible and it's so fun like when someone just hasn't you know had anybody tell them that they're loved or anybody you know even touch them on the shoulder and say what's up bro you know in a long time and you can actually see the look in someone's eyes where they're like i'm here you see me you know and i remember for months while i was homeless i felt like nobody even really saw that i existed and they were all watching me die so yeah I've had it forever, and now I actually have the opportunity to do it without anything holding me back.
1: Now, a long time ago, somebody once asked me and I told them about that experience and they said, "How how is it that you can help people as much as you do? Because I make that a personal mission as well. But having experienced a point in your life where people disregarded you completely and looked at you as though you weren't even a person anymore, yet you spend the second half of your life helping them and wanting to be there for everyone. That was asked of me. And I thought, I do it because that's what you're supposed to do. Like think mm. there's no question. Like you're just, you're meant to do that you have it in your heart for a reason you your experiences you have them for a reason it's just what you do it feels good to help other people but then you know seeing them go forward it's everything you know it's what makes the world continue it's what gives you hope amen so then for you did you ever have that thought and you're thinking like you know there are people that once just disregarded your existence and then you spend your second half of your life trying to help all of them
0: I don't blame people for anything, which is a really interesting thought because even when I'm getting attacked by somebody, and this is a this is a decision that I've made. It's a decision because I know that for someone to attack me for anything, I know it has nothing to do with me because I know with everything in me, with my entire identity, I love them, mm-hmm. even when I haven't met them. So if I want to be the person that loves people, then I need to love the people that are attacking more than the people that aren't. So like I have a I have a pretty big, social media following now and things like that. And for a while, you know, before people were getting to know me and they like really understood what I was doing, I had different people coming out and like attacking me for all kinds of different wording I use. Like I use the word recovered or, you know, I'm coaching people on how to share their story and how to write books. So I'm like, so people are saying, oh, you're taking advantage of people at their lowest and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, dude, you have no idea who I am. If you could even like say something like that about me. But instead of saying something like that to them, what I say is, man, I really appreciate your care for this community. You know, because that's where that's actually coming from. They think if they believe that someone is taking advantage of this community, it's actually coming from a place of love themselves. I just respond to hate with love and I don't have to think about all the hate in the world. I just think about all the love.
1: Good way to think about it. If you could share a message with the world, any message at all, what would that be?
0: You are 100% unconditionally loved by God.
1: That's a very good message. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that you didn't get to touch on today?
0: You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff coming up. I mean, I've got a TEDx talk coming up in October. We're launching a fifty state comprehensive resource guide online with a whole system of how to take somebody from reaching out for help to contacting them within a minute to taking them all the way through their first year of recovery. We're partnering with some major, major, major partners to help this cause go forth. And in twenty twenty six, we'll be introducing a solution to the opioid epidemic. My medical director and I, my board and then some of my advisors are the only ones that really know about it. But we are really, really, really certain that we're going to introduce something that's going to completely change the world. So keep your eye out on recovered on purpose.
1: <laughs> that sounds amazing. Oh, goodness. I'm so I'm so glad for you and all that you do. And it's just amazing. I wish you so much success and that so many people just continue to be helped and inspired by you and your program. Can you also tell everyone where to find you online, on socials, all that good stuff?
0: Yeah. Facebook recovered on purpose, recovered on And you can actually pick up my book for free at my website, a digital and audio copy. And I also have a free relapse prevention worksheet on my website. And if anybody out there is struggling and you're trying to get sober or clean, feel free to email me at adam at recovered Awesome.
1: Well, Adam, it's been wonderful talking to you and finally getting to hang out with you. I knew it was going to be awesome. I hope you have the great rest of your week and I'll be looking forward to that 10 talk.
0: Thank you so much, Vanessa. Have a great day.
1: The Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy? The docu series can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy? The Happy Hour.